Hello, everyone. This is Hollywood Joe from Hollywood's World of Sports. And tonight I am here with a very special guest. He is in his 25th year of professional wrestling. He is the incomparable, the legendary, the one of a kind, amazing Nate Matson. How are you, Nate? Excellent, Joe. Thank you for that awesome introduction. Um, so right out of the gate, I mean, you you grew up being a big pro wrestling fan, and me and me and you've talked about like a lot of the stuff we watched growing up. And uh, right out of the gate, what made you want to be a pro wrestler, and who influenced you as a kid? Well, you know, just uh, my age groups growing up in the '80s. You know, was, had the big boom of the '80s, so of course, uh, you know, you had Hulk Hogan. But the the one major guy that stuck out stood out was uh, Macho Man. Yeah. Know? Randy Savage was my guy. Um, you know, when, when the mega powers eventually exploded, I was a macho man, dude. So, uh, you know, other than that, um, you know, Roddy Piper. Um, but the, the main thing was macho man, because I was reading a, um, it was like a bio in a magazine and it's talked about how macho man is a little bit like a review of his career. And, you know, when he started out, he, he worked out, he worked for the Sheik in uh, yeah. big time wrestling and then later on, um, you know, he started his career at 175 pounds. So it's like, that's how much I was weighing in high school, which yeah. led my decision to become a wrestler. But even as a fan, you know, 10 years old, um, the macho man just stood out with just bright, colorful, his interviews to me, macho man is what pro wrestling is, you know, it's over the top, but he's also very athletic. Um, just, you know, just that whole encompassing presentation, Macho Man was the guy for me. Awesome. Awesome. So what like what age would you say you were when you like kind of knew that's what you wanted to do? Uh, I didn't I mean like I always loved it. So I, yeah. I never I it wasn't until probably like early high school when it was right on the time I discovered independent wrestling. Because yeah. we, we had a great scene here. Yeah. And it was small, but it, for what it was, it, it really packed a punch. So, yeah. um, you know, that really grabbed me and, I, and made me realize that, you know, it was something I could possibly do. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, after I read that Macho Man started at 175 pounds and then he be, grew to be, you know, the, the, the Macho Man himself, the Macho King, all everything. So it, it was just kind of like those things were falling into place. And then uh, a certain... Uh, sequence of events happened in high school that led me to you know my training and to other things that I was uh you know being made aware of yeah. so so it's the reality started to you know really take shape I, I love the fact that like it's kind of a parallel thing it's like a lot of stuff I don't know about you I'm kind of already getting to know right off the bat here it's kind of funny because I did not discover independent pro wrestling in michigan until high school as well yeah um as, as everybody knows Noel lot was a was my best friend in middle school and high school and that that's how i knew what it was finally because he yeah. went he went down and trained at severns yep. in cold water and that was my introduction to uh independent wrestling in michigan so i just kind of it's kind of kind of crazy how a lot of people aren't introduced to it like at least from our age group weren't introduced to it until like high school right so I, I just thought that was kind of cool now um where did you uh train at and what were some of the most valuable lessons you learned early on 
well, you know, my, my original training, uh, you know, it was Can-Am wrestling and even before that. So when I was going to the independent shows, um, you know, it's something that a lot of people might not know is, you know, we had Al Snow before he got signed to WWE, um, along with uh, Sexton Hardcastle, who would eventually become Edge and D'Lo Brown and all those guys. Those were, and Johnny Swinger, yeah. like those guys were our indie guys, you know, back then. They weren't signed then. And so that's who I would go and watch. And even Scott Demore wrestled. And yeah. he, was, he was in different various tag teams and, and factions. So like I got to see all these guys before. And so once I started to kind of discover who they were, um, I had found this booklet. I don't know how I found it. It was, uh, um, it was called Inside Secrets on How to Enter the Exciting World of Pro Wrestling. And it was by Paul Bearer. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was written in the 80s, excuse me, by, by Percy Pringle III. Yep. And so he had released it in 95. And it was kind of odd because I, I came across it and I sent away for it right after I graduated high school because I was so in, intrigued by it all. I was like, there's, there's got – because there was one wrestler that, uh, that I was watching on Independence, and I won't name his name, but it, it, he wasn't very good. And I, when I watched him, I was like, okay, nothing against this guy, but if he can do it, so can I. And so that kind of lit the fire under me as well to, to pursue it. And so I'd found, I'd read the Paul Bearer book and uh, it gave a list of wrestling schools in the back. And so one of them, there wasn't many because remember yeah. this is, this is mid nineties. Yeah. This, this is before the internet was really anything. There might've been some message boards, but there was no social media. There was nothing. So, um, you know, I, we all got everything out. We knew by magazines or yeah. dirt, sheets. dirt sheets were big. So, you know, and I didn't really start getting those until later on. Um, but so I, I sent away for Al Snow's, uh, Al Snow had a wrestling school and his, it was called Body Slammers. And it was listed in the back and I had sent away for an application. And so I got the application, but right before I filled it out and, and invested it, because you had to move to Lima, Ohio for three months and you'd, you'd train every day. And I was ready to do that. Um, but then I was working at the local Kmart and uh, my manager would see me come in because I was working the night shift. I would come in and I would watch, you know, the Monday night wars uh, on, cause we had cable in the, in the break room and I would watch <laughs> and he'd be like, Oh, why are you watching that crap? That's phony. And I'd say, no, I, I want to be a wrestler. And he'd just laugh. He'd be like, you're too small. And so I'd be like, okay, whatever. And so this went on for a couple of weeks and my manager would come in every Monday and he'd be like, Oh, you're watching this again. So I said, yeah, I'm going to be a wrestler. So, Eventually, he kind of was like, uh, he was working me and he was faving me for one thing because he goes, hey, you really want to be a wrestler? Come with me. So he takes me into his office. And as soon as I turn the corner right in front of his office, there's all these pictures of him with George the Animal Steel and, and other wrestlers that were local. And I said, I go, what is this? You know, you're ribbing me here. You're telling me this is phony. And here you're he's like, well, you know, I know all these guys because I used to be a promoter for fundraisers and things. So I'm like, what? So this just tells you a little bit about the secrecy of wrestling, even kayfabe back then yeah. is, you know, they didn't just let anybody in, you know? So he knew a guy named Iron Mike Anthony they had worked with. And uh, he was a fixture on the independent scene in Michigan for years. And so um, he got me in touch with him. My manager got me in touch with Mike Anthony. And so Mike Anthony 
uh, I met him. I, I called him up and I said, Hey, you know, how much is it to train? And he's like, well, I need $300 and I'll meet you at Burger King in East Point. And I said, okay. So, you know, I'm living at home. I'm just, out, I'm still just out of high school Yeah. and I don't have $300, you know? So I borrowed the money from my parents and they write a check to this guy. So I come to the Burger King in East Point with a check. And first thing he looks at me and he goes, if this check bounces, so will you. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh, it's good. It's good. You know, my dad, is, he works. So. so anyway, that was my first introduction to, to a real wrestler at the time. And so what basically we had a little conversation and he told me, you know, there's no guarantees. And in my mind, I thought that that $300 was going to go towards, uh, you know, my tuition to the wrestling school. So what it really bought me was Irish Mickey Doyle's phone number. So that, that's the way the wrestling worked back then is you had to know somebody. And even if you had to pay to know somebody, you know, so I paid $300 for Mickey Doyle's phone number, which is priceless because he's a dear friend of mine. But that so Mickey got me, invited me over to Can-Am in Windsor because, you know, Mickey's for a Detroit guy. And, and so he goes, you know, I train over in Windsor in Canada. So why don't you come over and uh, bring some knee pads and, you know, we'll see what you got. And he was super inviting, super welcoming. And so that was the, the first takeaway from the lessons that I learned was, you know, you, you have to be welcoming and inviting to the new guys, even if they don't pan out, even if they don't, you know, the fact that they're, you know, taking a shot at it and, and, and they got the guts to try it. You know, it's like, let's give them a shot first before we, you know, start crushing their dreams. You yeah, know? yeah. But that was a, that was a big takeaway for me. And then, you know, Mickey's, a, he's just a class act all the way. So um, then I, pretty soon I met Scott Damore. Um, and then after that, it was the Canadian destroyer, Doug Chevalier. And those are my three trainers. And, uh, and Can-Am has produced tons of wrestlers that have gone mm -hmm. all over the world, you know, Japan, Europe, you know, impact wrestling, WWE. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an honor to, to come from Can-Am. When did you kind of realize that you could be successful with wrestling on a local and regional level? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, creating um, that relationship with promoters and the veterans, because, you know, those are the guys that are going to help you the most, you know, the, the promoters are going to give you opportunity and that's all they can give you. Yeah. You have to make the most of opportunity. If you don't, you either sink or swim. And there's there's plenty of more guys coming up behind you to to step over you and take your spot and and, and be successful. So, um, you know, and you just have to be professional, you know, and you have to show them that you're improving each match, you know, because there's a lot of guys that get to a certain plateau and then they don't know how to break through and, and get past that and they stay mid-card. Um, but if you prove yourself time in and time out and, and show that you're improving each and every month, and then you take criticism and critiques, uh, well, you know, you, you can, you can honestly evaluate yourself and go, okay, you know, that wasn't so good. What can I change here? And then if a veteran pulls you aside or if the promoter pulls you aside, you know, they're going to say, Hey, you know, I really like this, but you should have done this and, or try this next time. And, you know, why did you do that? It's not, anything that's malicious or mean it's kind of like to get you thinking 
you know, like, how can we draw money? How can we make the most of out of every situation? So, um, so what, like early on, what was the, uh, what was the first big match you had that really tested you as a pro wrestler? Well, I, I would say it's probably around 1999. Um, there was a couple, couple instances in that time frame up through like early 2000, 2001, where I, I was being tested because I had already wrestled uh, the local veterans, you know, uh, Canadian Destroyer, Hard Time Gene Austin, a Death Dealer Tommy Starr, um, the Outlaws. Like those were the main guys that I wrestled uh, a lot, uh, along with some guys that had already done some stuff for WWF. Uh, like Irish Bobby Clancy and Eric and Otis Apollo. Um, and then of course, um, so I was, I was getting a good education by working with veterans. And so hard time Gene Austin had started um, Southern Michigan wrestling that turned into, to NWA uh, Great Lakes, NWA Michigan. And cause he joined the NWA. So now more eyeballs were on us. Yeah. And so he had brought in uh, Tommy Rogers of the fantastics. And, you know, it, it, I was at the time only a couple years in and I was out of my league, but because Tommy Rogers is such a fantastic worker, um, I, you know, I came out of that match um, already a better performer, just like the light bulb started to, to, you know, go off a little bit and, and really show what, what I was missing in terms of, you know, the showcasing my personality, um, working the crowd more. Um, my just timing issues and, and when to be more explosive and changing gears and things like that. So, you know, Tommy Rogers had, had a good conversation with him after the, the match and told him, you know, asked him what I needed to work on. And, you know, those, those veterans were, were very honest uh, and, you know, not, you just got to take it as it is and, and then try to work on those things that they bring up. But Tommy Rogers of the fantastic who's since passed away, but I mean, he, he was a big test. You know, he, he, he really showed me just a, a difference between just a, a worker and, you know, a, a great worker. Cause you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I still wouldn't say I'm in his league because he was that good. Wow. Yeah. That's all. That's awesome. Um, now do you, do you have like, like, it's not as easy. Like it wasn't as easy back then to record matches, uh, matches like it does now. Do you have any of those matches that you ever go back and watch and be like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, but the only problem is they're on VHS. We gotta, so, get, we gotta get you a VHS to DVD converter. Yeah, because um, you know, I've gotten rid of all my old VHS players, and uh, you know, my they're in a box somewhere. I know I do have some, uh, and you know, a lot of matches with uh, Steve Nixon or even the Canadian Destroyer, um, Logan Kane, who was he was probably the next big test. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the name, but um, so in, in the late nineties uh, he was called the future Logan Kane and he's really Al Snow's younger brother, okay. and, you know, trained by Al and uh, at the time was the NWA world junior heavyweight champion. And so I had a series of matches with him and we just had great chemistry and, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, he taught me, you know, really helped developed my style and, and shaped the way I worked along with my trainers and mentors. But I mean, you know, he, he really pushed me, you know, he, he made me do things that, you know, I would go on to push other guys yeah. you know, with, with certain aspects of things. So Logan Kane, um, you know, was, was a big help in those days, but you know, it's, it's like, you know, you just kind of have to like 
go back and, and rewatch your stuff and see, oh, I don't like that. And yeah. you know, I, I should, I waited too long here. And, you know, but yeah, yeah, definitely going back and watching that footage, you know, it's paramount. Now, along the way, you have been a part of the threat, the Michigan invasion, Michigan invasion, and as well as some other tag teams. What have those factions and teams meant to you? Uh, well, I mean, for, for any type of faction, you develop um, just a, more than a, a normal camaraderie with other workers. So you, you travel mostly with your faction. You know, a lot of times, like say it was Truth Martini. Uh, you know, I, I saw Truth Martini's first match. Oh, wow. It was on a uh, Gene Austin show, and he wrestled his friend Cisco, who would go on to be Mark Joka, you know, and, and so – they, they were married to each other for a long time because they, they knew each other and they trained together. They wrestled on every show. And uh, I was a funny story. I was wrestling Logan Kane in, in one of the, you know, high profile matches on the card and they were under underneath and they're doing, well, it was truth was doing all these flips and dives and hurricane ranas and head scissors and, you know, just cool moves. You know, and my, my, my approach was more, ground and pound, Bret Hart, you know, you know, wear my opponent down and, you know, and then build, build, build. But these guys were a fireworks right out of the gate. And so Truth Martini was always super exciting. So, um, you know, we hit it off from the, I met him at a, a Sweet Daddy Malcolm Monroe show and, and we in, immediately hit it off. You know, he's got the big Jesus on his chest and all that. So I, we started talking about God and stuff. So, you know, we, we became fast friends and, yeah. But fast forward, I mean, you know, we've teamed and wrestled dozens and dozens of times and mostly together. We've only yeah. faced each other a couple of times, which I think, you know, it helped as a team just because we knew each other so well. We just gelled. Um, you know, we wrestled the Motor City Machine Guns. We wrestled um, Black and Brave, Seth Rollins and Merrick Brave, you know, when he was uh, Seth was Tyler Black. And um, we wrestled the. Uh, when Ricky Shane Page and his partner Vincent Nothing, he was um, Christian Faith. So like Faith and Nothing, we wrestled a lot of big tag teams in the, in the Independence at the time. But a lot of times we didn't have to talk. Like yeah. me, me and Truth knew each other so well that we could just kind of like feel it out there and look at each other, and, and the other would know what they were doing. So um, you know, and then you've got other guys that come in that have that same chemistry, like Briar Wellington. Uh, you know, and like Jimmy Jacobs, Zach Gowan, um, you know, Chris Saban, all those guys that were Michigan guys that we, you know, we traveled with, um, you know, and it just, it, it made the, the, that chemistry uh, really stand out. And that's why we were so successful as, as different factions, because, you know, we, we just fed off each other and, and we, we worked together so well. Now, do you prefer singles or tag? I mean, I love tag team wrestling. It's fun, um, and you get a you get a little breather, yeah. but it doesn't mean you're not working the whole time. You know, like with with tag team wrestling, there's so many you know moving parts and different elements, and and there's a lot more excitement that can go on in the singles match. That's my preference because I'm, you know, if it, it, whatever the scenario, you know, there's not a lot of times where I am the less experienced guy, unless it's with like, it was with Tommy Rogers or whatever. But nowadays, you know, I kind of am driving the bus. So, uh, 
you know, I, I can do whatever I feel is going to take the, the people on a ride. You know, like mm -hmm. I try to put the people, you know, in a place where we can, you know, dip and do and go over here and go over there and okay, let's go over here now. And so singles is, I have more control over it. Um, but that's not to say I don't, you know, I don't not, I mean, I love tag team wrestling. So it depends on the chemistry of the partner and, you know, and your opponent. So I, it really depends on the situation, but I'm definitely more, I love singles wrestling. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, it's funny you bring up tags because one of my favorite matches that I've seen live on the independent scene uh, was a tag match that actually involved you. Okay. Uh, it was down in cold water, price of glory. And you had teamed with Jack Thriller. And for some reason, I just, like, when you when I saw you two together, I'm like, man, two freaking awesome veterans who I don't ever really think cross paths with each other that I knew of, and they're teaming together. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I love Jack. You know, and, and you know, we haven't really worked that much together. Um, I was, I, I had a good run at Price of Glory uh in the you know early days yeah um, you know i had i had done stuff with you know josh raymond when he was josh abercrombie um jimmy jacobs um and dan severn you know i had a couple matches with dan severn there and they were they were really good they were well received uh but i knew you know you had the homegrown guys which was jack thriller you had johnny dynamo um you had cj otis so they had that there, it was P, price of glory was funny because it was kind of like Michigan's all Japan. Like, you know, they had all like a Japanese style and, you know, Dan Severn of course had the shoot style. So yeah. it, it, it was a, they had their own little niche promotion there and they, they pushed guys like Noah lot and, and people like that. So, um, you know, I enjoyed my time there, but then I know years later, then uh, I got the call to come team with Jack and we had done some stuff in Toledo uh, and I, and, and then even in pro wrestling all-stars, you know, where I'd worked with Jack a little bit and, uh, we, we always gelled really well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he's very cool and very easy to work with. And that's, that's what you want. You want somebody that you can just go out there, entertain the people and have a great match and not have to really worry about if your partner or your opponent is going to hold up their end of the bargain. So now singles wise, um, now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite singles match I saw you live in, it was in Grand Rapids when CWM was still running. Okay. And you took on Too Tough Tommy Titus. And I remember it was for the CWM championship. And I remember that turned out into a full-out brawl in the balcony where I was commentating. And, like, I remember, like, it just got so crazy, like, all of our audio equipment got unplugged and like video went like I think the video went off air, which actually made for a really cool special effect. Yeah, I yeah. just I just remember that match and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, Nate is just like so like no pun intended, amazing, you know. <laughs> and so like I mean, from a fan perspective, those those the singles match and the tag match I've seen live really stood out, stood out for me from a fan perspective. So, um, like, in terms of, like, like I don't know, gimmick matches, is there any type of gimmick match that you like working? Oh, man. You know, um, I do like certain ones. Like, I've been in everything. You know, I've been in dog collar match. I've been in steel cage match, tables match, ladder match. Um, you know, 
six ways and all the other yeah. crap, you know, even three ways are gimmick matches. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's, I like Iron Man matches. I've done, a, I've done a number of those where, you know, you, you just have 30 minutes. See, like one of the, one of the jokes running in Michigan is like, you know, don't give me a microphone because I'm going to talk for a while. And if, if you put me in the ring and you give me a certain time, odds are I'm going to go over my time. So yeah. I apologize to every promoter and <laughs> that had to follow me. Um, you know, it's not intentional. What it is is I just get caught up and I, you know, the people are rocking and we've got a story to tell and there's certain things that, you know, you, you can't take out. But when I have a, when I have an allotted time of 30 minutes, you know, like if you give me 20 minutes, that's perfect. You know, if you give me 15, I can, I love, that's fine. That's great. But man, if a promoter gives me 30 minutes, that's a lot of time to fill. And it's a lot of time that you have to keep the fans entertained. And so it takes, it takes a lot of different, you know, where can you take the people? What can we do here without boring them or putting them to sleep or having them get up and go to the concession stand? So that's the challenge that I like is, you know, uh, when you compare it to like a ladder match, a table match or any type of more physical match, you know, those you're put, you're taking more bumps and you, there's more risk of injury, but it's like, if you do a 30 minute Ironman match, now it's like, okay, now we have to creatively come up with ways to, you know, to take up this time and work body parts and tell stories and, and get the people invested in it. So at the end, when the one, two, three happens, and they lose their minds, yeah. then, then, you know, we know that we, we did our job. So that's the challenge that I like is, is a good, you know, Ironman match or, or something that goes a little bit longer. Now, over, over the last 25 years, you have wrestled, I mean, so many places, but some of the key places that I've caught you in, just either in person or, you know, through the news or videos, uh, you've wrestled and evolved Impact Wrestling. Uh, prior to that was NWA, TNA. Ring of Honor and WWE, and don't have to go into details on this if you don't want to. Um, were you ever offered anything beyond the matches that you had with those companies? Uh, well, I mean, I I was always offered times back. Like I've done Impact several times. Um, a lot of times they knew my situation. So like you know, it, it, when you're an independent wrestler, a lot of times you have full time jobs and you have families and you have things like that. So like they would, what would happen is they would keep me on file and they, you know, I would stay in touch with them. And if there was something that uh, they needed from somebody, then I would be one of the first people that they would call. They would reach out to me. If I was available, I'd do it. If I wasn't available, they had no hard feelings. You know, we could always come back to it. So my, my number one rule is don't burn any bridges, yeah. you know, like that, that, that's why I've been able to last all these years and still, still get work in, in good places because uh, you know, I, I've, I was trained to be professional. I was trained yeah. by professionals and the etiquette that, you know, I try to put out there is, you know, I'm here to do what the company needs and I'm here to do the best job, you know, that I can. So um, there, there were times where, you know, like not so much offered a contract, but times where I was offered a regular spot and, and then certain situations would happen where it didn't work out. But I also say this wrestling, something that the, the old timers always taught me is wrestling is a temporary business. And, and what I mean by that is nothing lasts forever. So 
you know, even if you look at, think about when we were kids in the eighties uh, and you watched wrestling, I'd say Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Okay. Ricky Steamboat was a territory guy. And then, you know, he had his runs in the NWA. He went to the WF for, what was that? Two years in the 87 yeah. to some 88 for whatever it was. And then he went back to the WF or WCW, you know, and that was NWA WCW. Yep. You know, and then, you know, he came back to the WF in 92 or whatever. And then he went back to WCW 94 through whatever time. And it's like, you don't stay in one place for a long time. Like, uh, so it doesn't like, no matter how much you want to go somewhere, like, you know, like a lot of those guys, they had their own gyms. They, you know, some of the guys did real estate, you know, they would always have some outside way to make money. Luthez had a number of businesses, you know, after when his career was winding down, you know, of course, while he was re wrestling, he wrestled almost every day of the year, yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it's like it. So you're lucky to get an opportunity anywhere for any length of time so it's like when when wb releases people and people get all up in arms i just i want to tell people it's temporary like just be grateful that you were there for that amount of time because you can take what you've learned there and apply it to your next territory or your next company so um you know wrestlers always land on our feet we're like cats you yeah. know we wrestlers have nine lives you know like if you're good at what you do you will end up somewhere good so you know i've always tried to keep my options open i like the independent circuit it's it's the the schedule is i can keep it flexible yeah. so you know and i have time for my personal life too so sure. yeah but other than that you know they i've always been treated well and you know we have good understanding okay now i was doing my research on you i want to make sure i got this right because i couldn't tell what the website was telling me now you're a trainer at can am now correct well technically yes okay so, but but you've been a trainer is what i'm saying yeah yeah and, and you know and i i would make guest appearances there over the years but it was official in 2018 uh scott had brought me on board scott demore you know he hired me to uh to come in and train and you know, along with johnny bravo who's an excellent trainer uh you know uh, right now neither of us can get across the border uh you know, because of the restrictions yeah. and everything, you know, it's not official. He, I don't know if he's gone to make those extra steps, but there's a lot of steps to, to get across uh, right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm just how I, sometimes I help out at skull and bones, which is yeah. uh, CK three school along with Trey Miguel. Yep. So I'll go I'll pop in there every once in a while and, and help out. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love training and that's where I started. Can-Am yeah. wrestling in Windsor, Ontario. So uh, being able to, to go over there every week was awesome before the pandemic. So now hopefully soon I can get back over there and, uh, and pick up, you know, where I left off. So actually I'm going to shift my next question on that then. Um, who are you excited about coming out of Can-Am and Skull and Bones? Oh, that's great. So, um, I mean, Can-Am, you know, because of the shutdown and everything, we had some really good students that were starting to come over from the States and some Canadian talent. And even uh, we have a guy named Bupinder uh, who's from India and he's done some stuff with Impact Wrestling. He's worked Rhino and, and a bunch of their other uh, talent in Impact. Uh, so Bupinder was doing great. And, uh, and, and he actually would still train over there because he's living in Windsor. So, you know, he had access to the school, even if it was by himself, 
to, to get in there and roll around and, and, and work on some things with, with some locals over there. And, you know, he's really improved, you know, even during this, you know, shutdown. So, um, even some, some guys come, came back like, uh, El Reverso. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, I've heard of him. Canadian talent and he took some time off, but then, um, he decided to come back and now he is in incredible shape. He's ripped, you know, shredded, his body's in great shape and he's got a good gimmick. And just, you know, he, he was back from when Alex Shelley was training over there and, and yeah. things like, you know, early, um, yeah, mid, mid 2010, maybe before that even. So, you know, he, he's one of those guys that, that, that I think that is going to really Im- impress people. And then uh, Aiden Prince, who was actually one of the trainers, uh, even though with not, you know, a whole lot of experience, you know, but before the pandemic, he was working with Pete Dunn and, and a lot of other great talent like that. So, um, so Aiden Prince, but, you know, of course we had Idris Abraham come out of the Can-Am school who was just on AEW dark. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Jackson stone who yeah. trained in Ohio, but then he had was starting to come to Can-Am and then that helped open doors for a lot of these guys to get into impact wrestling yeah. uh, because uh, Jackson stone won the uh, gut check challenge. Yep. So, and I was there for that while they were yeah. filming. And uh, yeah. he, he was very impressive and, and did a great job. So, you know, we've got a lot of guys that, that have come through Can-Am that may, maybe not have started there, but they polish up and, you know, we kind of fine tune things so, you know, they can take that out into, you know, other territories. So what, uh, what wrestlers from Michigan could you see making it to one of the mainstream promotions? Well, I mean, we've got a lot of great, here's the thing about Michigan is like, it's almost like the forgotten territory. It's like the twilight zone. It's for Mm -hmm. whatever reason you've got the East coast. That's always been big because originally they had the, all the magazine coverage, but now with the internet, you know, they, they still have a strong foothold, you know, with a lot of the, the territories, you know, being based around Philadelphia, New York and New Jersey and all those you know, Boston and all that, that there's a lot of great wrestling on the East coast. So, um, and they get a lot of attention and then down South, of course, you know, you've got a lot of great promotions down South. Florida has a lot of promotions, especially with the big companies being based out of uh, Florida. So, you know, even Chicago has a great scene. Um, You know, California has, I would say California has about the same scene as we do, but they get more press because it's California and it's sunny and beautiful there. I don't know. You know, Detroit has like, Detroit has this stigma of being, you know, gritty, not pretty, you know, like it's gritty, it's grimy, like, uh, like horror slam, which is a local Detroit promotion has been partnering up with uh, GCW to run joint shows in Detroit and, and they're well-received. And I think people are now seeing that um, there's more to Detroit and that, you know, it's not just local indie wrestling. Like we've yeah. got some guys that, that could be players, you know? Uh, and of course, off the top of my head, you know, you've got the death threat army, um, various guys, some have more experience than others, but they all work well as a team. And even as a, in, a, in a unit, they could go somewhere or even individually. There's a couple guys that I think could really stand out. And, you know, not to, you know, say one's better than the other, but certain, you know, that's the whole point of this is 
you know, representing that Detroit style and then presenting it to the world saying, hey, this is what we do in Detroit, kind of like what the Sheik used to do. Yeah. And it wasn't just, you know, stabbing a guy with a pencil and throwing fire. You know, it was like, you know, you had heels and baby faces and you had ways to get the crowd emotionally invested. And I think Detroit has that, you know, we, Darren McCarty of the Red Wings is a huge wrestling supporter uh, and goes to all the local shows and yeah. he wants wrestling in Detroit to be as big as every other territory, yeah. you know? And so he's using his name value to try to dr- attract some attention um, to here. So I think, you know, it's good that game changers come in here uh, to Michigan and, and seeing the, the Tommy Vendettas and Aaron O'Ryan's and, and Jason Hotch, who, you know, and guys like that, that, um, that are really stepping up because, you know, you know, after you had the guys like me and truth and Jimmy Jacobs, Zach Gowan, Saban and Shelly, you know, now it's time for a new group of guys to, you know, just blow up and burst yeah. out of the scene. And what, what it is, is, you know, you, and I can't neglect Karam, you know, and then of course you've got Hakeem Zayn, who's been killing it at impact. Absolutely. One of my favorites. I, it's funny you bring those two up. Well, obviously I'm wearing their shirt because that's the only Michigan shirt I could find for the night. But um, their work, and you know I sing both of their praises all the time. Like, I I love those two guys at that. And it's really, they're, the two of them together has me hooked on AAW in Chicago now. Like, and it's great because I'm discovering guys I've never heard of before. Yeah. And it's just, it's just fun how, like, one or two guys can help you discover a whole new crop of people to watch that you never would have even thought about. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is, you know, again, that goes back to, you know, promoters seeing something in, in wrestlers and pushing them and giving them opportunities because uh, my old tag team partner is Danny Daniels, and he owns AAW. And so, you know, like back, me and Truth were AEW tag team champions. And, you know, we, we got to wrestle a whole bunch of different guys like Silas Young and Ace Steel. Um, like I said, Seth Rollins when he was Tyler Black. And of course, uh, you know, uh, just a whole bunch of guys that, that were coming up. And then they went on to do great things. Yeah. So it's like you have Karm and you've got um, Hakeem Zayn, Rohit, you know. Yeah. They, they have great chemistry and they really know how to get the crowd going. They know how to feed off of each other. And, yeah. you know, I, I've yet to wrestle Karam, which, uh, you know, I hope to one day soon just to test him out and see where he's at. Um, but how that, you- if that match ever happens, I'll have to cut you off. If that match ever happens, I don't care where it is, I will drive to it. All right, good, good. Because I'm, you know, I'll push for it. I'm going to see what I can do, you know, pull some strings. But, you know, uh, Hakeem Zane and I, we wrestled numerous times. We wrestled uh, at my XICW Hall of Fame induction. Uh, he spoiled it. He was part of the House of Truth, and, and uh, you know he was the Midwest champion, and I was a former Midwest champion. And so uh, we had a match later that night, and then the House of Truth got involved. And, of course, you know they, it didn't end well for me. But that was my first meeting. We met at um, IWR, Rhino's promotion. You know we, We've wrestled a few times, so both – both of those guys are really impressive. They look like wrestlers and no, to top it off, uh, they have great attitudes. And that's, yeah. that's, if I could tell any young wrestler today, you know, model yourself after the guys that have 
you know, not only the work ethic and the etiquette, but just attitudes have, they have good attitudes that they want to be team players and, and, you know, learn, keep learning and, and grow and become better performers. So. Before I get into some fun questions, uh, this question just came to my mind. I don't know why a light bulb went off. So it's kind of like a past and present question. So when you started and now, like who, who would you say in Michigan are like five influential people that like were there when you started and five influential people now? Now I'm not just saying your career, I'm just like saying Michigan in general. Okay. Um, well, I mean, when I started, the, the influential guys were the veterans. I mean, it was Gene Austin. Uh, like, uh, you know, I, first off is Mickey Doyle. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he, he is like my wrestling father. Like he's, he welcomed me with open arms. And, you know, I, you know, when you're young, I think a lot of times guys will come into the wrestling business to the tryout with a friend or maybe somebody will ride with them. I drove by myself to Windsor, you know, I crossed the bridge and, you know, I was scared out of my mind. And, you know, as soon as I saw him, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, stretch out and, you know, we'll get started in a minute. And, uh, you know, he was there from the very beginning. Um, and he instilled a lot of confidence in me over the time that I, that I was training. So, and he even was able to do commentary on some of my first matches for border city and, you know, he would encourage me. So Mickey Doyle, number one, uh, plus he's been all around the world and he's yeah. seen everything and everybody knows Mickey Doyle and, and, you know, that's how great he is. But, and then of course, uh, you know, Scott Demore was a very tough coach. Um, he expected uh, excellence. You know, if you're, if you were going to come out of Can-Am and if he was going to, you know, send you out as a representative and you told people that you trained at, you know, Scott Demore's Can-Am wrestling, you'd better know what you're doing or at least, you know, be on your way to, you know, have showing people your potential because he didn't, he didn't clear you unless he thought you were ready. And I remember being in his office several times and he would say, you know, you're not ready yet. And then I remember when finally I got the call into his office and he said, Hey, you're ready. You know what? And he gave me a list of phone numbers to promoters and he said, there you go. So Scott definitely, you know, taught me the professional side and, and, and really inspired me. Uh, and he was doing stuff on WWF and WCW. I could be training. And then he would also be doing tours of Germany. So, I mean, like he would come back and I'd, I'd be like, okay, I picked the right school because this guy's out there he's doing mm -hmm. it and he's got all the connections. So, uh, and then the outlaws, uh, you know, you had, um, Dave St. Ange, you had Woody Lee. Yeah. You had, um, Bobby Lee. So the outlaws were, were big influencers. The Canadian destroyer, Doug Chevalier, who taught me how to wrestle. If it wasn't for Doug Chevalier, uh, he taught me, he was a shooter. Yeah. And, and he, he would tie me in a pretzel and he'd stretch my arm over my head and my leg behind my back. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay, how do you get out of this? And I'd be like, I can't. And he'd be like, no, think about it. How do you get out of this? And he would make me think what were the counters were. And then once I started going with it, he would then kind of show me exactly where to do stuff. So, you know, that was the kind of training I needed because it was so hands-on and it was real. It was, I, you know, he taught me how to be a wrestler. So, um, you know, so those are the original guys, you know, outlaws, uh, Gene Austin, of course, gave me my first big opportunity. And then, 
you know, Scott and uh, Doug Chevalier. So, but then later on, you know, I would say the five guys now, uh, you know, one guy that was, I mean, even though it's been probably 20 years since, uh, you know, we started the whole thing, but like, uh, you know, Josh Movado, uh, big inspiration in many ways because he started the IWR uh, for a place that was, very alternative to what was the normal landscape. Like you got to remember back then, you know, you had Malcolm Monroe, sweet daddy, you know, Malcolm senior DBA's dad. And, you know, he ran Detroit and, you know, and then finally he kind of got away from promoting and AT Hup took over. And so they, they still did a lot of the old school ways. And I had, I, w- I had good connections with Huck, but um, you know, the bump and uglies, they were a rock and wrestling band. You know, they, they were kind of trained by ICP. And so they kind of were like looked at as kind of like outlaws, you know, like they weren't, you know, in, in the, you know, infrastructure of the way that we were doing things in Detroit with like the sweet daddy crew or or things like that. And I was kind of like NWA Michigan guy trying to get into Detroit and then the bump and uglies were doing their own thing. So, but then Josh Movado just had a, a vision. And him and his brother, too. I'm not going to say just Josh. It was Bubba McKenzie. They were the bump and uglies. And they had a vision to, to change Detroit wrestling, to make it more, you know, modern. And they yeah. brought in punk rock and they brought in wrestlers from all over the country. It wasn't just local guys. And I'm not saying that Huck or Sweet Daddy didn't do that because they obviously did. But it was a fresh change. And because I wasn't really into the ICW yet, IWR started and I came in on the ground level and that's when we started doing, you know, I started teaming with Jimmy Jacobs and then we did the turn and I joined the thread. I was feuding with Chris Sabin and then, you know, then, you know, you mix everybody in it and then you have AJ Styles and it just blew up. And then we started doing Revolucha and yep. all of a sudden you've got all the, the, the Mexican luchadors coming in. Um, so it, it was a, it was a, a great opportunity for me to have Josh Movado, not only as a friend, but somebody that looked out for me and, and made sure, you know, I mean, the threat's still going and that was a, a Josh Movado creation. So, yeah, you know, so Josh was, was big. And then other inspirations. Um, I mean, it just be like a lot of my friends, you know, Orlando Christopher uh, was a big inspiration just because I saw a lot of myself and him as he was coming up because, you know, he was kind of like a skinny kid and then, but then he soaked up all the knowledge like a sponge. Like he wanted to know different styles. He wanted to know how to wrestle. He wanted to, you know, be on the top of the card and, 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 and move up. And so he, he started like changing his look and traveling more. And, you know, we'd go on car rides and we, we did one trip to Chicago, five hours, one way, five hours back. We talked wrestling for 10 hours, yeah. you know, and, and that's how we, you know, we bonded. And then plus beating the crap out of each other and, and for met do, you know, numerous times yeah. over the yeah. years. So, you know, like I said, there's that bond when you work with somebody, um, yeah. you know, Briar Wellington, look at how he reinvents himself every few years, you know, to, to stay relevant. And now horror slam is competing with GCW. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that, that I, I really admire uh, who are trying to take wrestling in this part to different levels like and also again ck3 who was later crimson in uh dead wrestling society you know he has skull and bones yeah 
And, you know, he's partnering with Trey Miguel and Benjamin Boone and Brian Castle. And, you know, they're trying to create uh, a, a place where nothing, Toledo, the Toledo area, which, you know, it's not far from Michigan, where it's, uh, there was nothing happening for a long time. Like yeah. there was a couple of local promotions, but they weren't making any buzz. So now, you know, with Trey Miguel, who's the impact uh, X division champion and things like that. And, and uh, Sam Beal, who's a product of Skull and Bones, you know, he's, he's making a name for himself and impact. So, yeah. you know, it's like the people that, that I was with for so many years, you know, they're, they still love wrestling, have a passion for it and want to uh, give back. And yeah. so that's, that's who I really, um, you know, admire and respect because yeah. the guys that stick with it and, and really want to make the scene better. Yeah. And it's funny, it's funny you bring up like, um, like places like certain cities or areas that things weren't happening. And uh, for me, as a as a fan, like I have been rejuvenated because pro wrestling is back in Grand Rapids on a regular basis. Um, you know, I I I cannot be more thankful and grateful to uh, Josh Raymond and the people he works with to bringing pro wrestling back to Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo and places close by because for like the last, up until, you know, the last couple of years, if you wanted to go see a pro wrestling show in Michigan and you lived in like the Grand Rapids area, you had to drive two or three hours to get to one. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I really kind of um, like understand what you're saying about how, you know, certain areas there was nothing happening in. And now like, they're starting to be a buzz. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and there, there's a name right there. Who's one of my favorite opponents, Josh Raymond. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, we, we've had some killer matches all yep. over. You know, I've wrestled him at AEW. I wrestled him all over Michigan. Uh, you know, it's, it's, he's just one of those talents that he gets it and he's proven it. He's a proven commodity. Like he, he's done stuff. He was with ring of honor he was wrestling society X. Like, I mean, he has paid his dues and I mean, he's, he's well-respected yeah. in business and, and everybody knows who Josh Raymond is. There's yeah. that's, that's what I love about wrestling is there's a thousand wrestlers or more just yeah. in the United States. But, but the, the guys that are, that have shaped a lot of the, these guys, you know, into the, like their thoughts and how they go about wrestling. Josh Raymond's one of those guys. He was always an innovator and he was always, um, you know, thinking outside the box, but, but in that regard, also paying homage to history. So like, he didn't like go so far overboard that it wasn't believable or didn't make sense. He just tried different, he threw stuff out there and if it stuck, it stuck. And if it didn't, it didn't. So, but he, he has a good track record of, of, you know, always just performing to a high level. I want to ask you some fun questions because we, we've, we've talked about this a little bit on Twitter in the past and just through various like text messages. What are your, some, what are some of your favorite matches that you like to watch the most, like out of the mainstream promotions and they can be past or present? Uh, I mean, you know, I've got my favorite wrestlers that I'll watch. So, but a lot of the time it's my friends. So um, I always keep track of Chris Saban. Uh, yeah. He, you know, and I'm not tooting my own horn or anything because, you know, he's just this, he's so high above 
almost everybody. He's head and shoulders above a lot of people. He does subtle things that a lot of people don't even pick up on, you know, like um, he, I met Chris Saban when he was about 18 years old. He came to our wrestling school in the NWA. And after applying to several schools, we were the only one that, that reached out to him when he, you know, when he was just a, a young man coming out of high school, still working at Subway. And so, uh, you know, we, we started working with him and me and him hit it off right away. So, you know, I kind of, I, for the first part of his career, like I kind of like trained him and then I took him over to Can-Am to where Scott could help him out. And then Joe Legend and, and guys like that, you know, really took him to another level. But um, I watch his stuff now, you know, he, he had a match with Moose recently and Josh yeah. Alexander and like, you know, even, you know, he's, he's been wrestling for 20 years. You know, he is a, he is a bona fide veteran, uh, not only of the X division, but you know, he's a former impact world champion winning the title from bully Ray. And, you know, he's, he's done a lot. He's wrestled all over the world. So, I mean, he's, he is one of my favorite guys to watch. So like if it's Chris Saban is on, you know, I put everything down and I watch Chris Saban match because there's stuff he does that I learned from, even though, you know, the dynamic is, you know, I was the teacher and he was the student, you know, he's, he's so far advanced that, you know, just watching his stuff helps me, you know, be able to pick up stuff and, and learn to pass on to other people. So, uh, and then of course, AJ Styles, who, uh, you know, just so great at what he does. He's a natural, you know, he, he was, he wasn't even like a big wrestling fan growing up. He was a yeah. casual wrestling fan growing up, but you know, he had, uh, kind of fallen into wrestling, got, you know, someone, him and his buddies dared him to become, or, you know, go to this tryout. Yeah. As soon as he went through the tryout, he kind of saw what it was and he fell in love with it. And he's a perfectionist. He's, he's very competitive. Yeah. So, you know, he, he, he sunk his teeth into wrestling. And I mean, he has never looked back. He, he's just, he's so far above everybody else. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, yeah. he, he could have a match with a broomstick and they used to say that about Ric Flair and, and other guys, but AJ could literally have a match with a broomstick and the bat and the broomstick would give him a huge backdrop and he'd go flying and yeah. you know, he'd sell it like crazy. But uh, so anytime AJ's on, even in his tag team stuff with, you know, where he's at now, yeah. you know, he's working with RK bro and those matches are, are really fun. And, and he knows his role, but he could step right back into the main event singles picture at any time. Yeah. And he probably will. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a matter of time. But, um, you know, and then, of course, a lot, Seth Rollins, another guy that I worked with a lot, you know, not a lot. I mean, a few times, but I, I got to see him a lot and I got to yeah. see him grow. And Johnny Gargano, he's another guy that I knew from Cleveland from when he was just a kid coming to, to shows behind, you know, where his uh, family had a restaurant. Yeah. And finally, he became a wrestler and I saw him become overnight sensation he worked yeah. hard at it but i mean like once he took off he he took off so yeah. you know gargano's though so gargano aj uh rollins you know you know and, and it's just it's just a matter of like people that i know that i want to see succeed yeah um that that's my favorite guys to watch you know especially well, what, yeah well what about like as a kid was there like was there any matches that you go back now when you watch as a kid that you enjoy watching yeah. Um, man, I, as a kid, it's funny. I love Tito Santana. Yeah. I love, I mean, and I can still go back now and watch Tito and yeah. I can, 
take stuff from his matches and apply it to mine because the psychology is great. Uh, his selling is great. His fire is great. So uh, I tell people, if you want to be a baby face, you watch Teal Santana. Like, I mean, from start to finish, his matches are exciting. You know, you, yeah. you go watch his stuff with uh, Morocco. You watch his stuff with Randy Savage. Uh, you watch his stuff with Rick Martel. You watch yeah. Tito versus Mr. Perfect. That's then, my guy. Yeah. And th but those matches were great. And then even uh, at near the end of his run, uh, Tito versus Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 there's a lot of matches online, you know, where, where Tito was still teaching Shawn certain things, you know, as a singles wrestler, because Shawn was such a tag team wrestler for a long time. Yeah. You know, Tito was a guy that would teach guys to how to get to the next level. So yeah. you know, I think Tito was so underrated, but he's one of my favorites to go back and watch. But I mean, there, there is a lot of guys, especially, um, that I study now that I didn't study then. Cause I, I was looking at it from those were fans eyes, but now when I watch it as a wrestler, you know, you, you pick up things of transitions and, and yeah. their, you know, their timing on things and, and, you know, how they get heat and things like that. And, or even their promos, what they say, how they say it, how they move, how they walk. So yeah. that's how a wrestler when And I tell people this all the time when you're a wrestler, you don't watch wrestling like a fan anymore. You can yeah. get caught up in it still. You're, you're going to get caught up in it because if the guys are doing their job, it's going to stir some emotion. Mm -hmm. um, but as when you're watching it through a trained eye, now you're looking at it where, oh, that was cool, you know, because you're seeing it from a whole performer performance standpoint. So. Yeah. Now, has there ever been like a match or two, like at a, at a Michigan show? So I'm just, I'm kind of curious. Has there ever been a match you just like watch from the curtain or sat out in the crowd and watch that you've really, really enjoyed? Uh, I had to think about it, but you know, like uh, Orlando Christopher um, was a guy that I always try to watch all his matches. Uh, Gavin Quinn, uh, before uh, you know, he had to take some time off. He was a great wrestler. I mean, like he, he, you know, he, I loved how he evolved from clash wrestling to XICW to, you know, other areas, you know, he was, he was starting to, to really get some steam. Uh, Juntai is another great wrestler that I like to watch. Um, you know, like these are guys that I think like Juntai, I think is one guy I forgot to mention that if he had the opportunity and I don't know if, if it's just motivation or what he, I know he did some evolve spots, he had some spots on Evolve and uh, him and GQ had Lotus where it was a very popular tag team, you know, in, in Michigan and they were starting to get, get out places. So, I mean, like, you know, those are guys that I, I like to watch um, that, that really entertained me and stuff like that. So who, uh, who on the Michigan scene would you like to face that you haven't yet? Well, I mentioned Karam. Yep. So I, and, you know, and, and, you know, we're two different styles, which I think is kind of cool because it's not just two of the same guys just exchanging holds. You know, I'd have to come in with a different approach. Carm's this big jacked up dude. And even though he's inexperienced, you know, he still has a lot of uh, strong points. You know, he's got his size. He's got his strength. He, he is pretty agile for a big man. Yeah. Uh, you know, even coming back from a knee injury, He's playing it safe right now, but he is, uh, he's definitely an athlete and yeah. 
you know, and I, he's just going to get better and better as time goes on. So if I could be a part of that process, you know, helping him get better and kind of like, you know, teaching him a couple little things, he'd definitely be on the top of my list. But I mean, uh, Jason Hotch, yeah. you know, I mean, he's a guy I've wrestled Alex Weir a, a couple times. I've wrestled um, Aaron Orion a couple times, you know, I've never wrestled Tommy Vendetta. So that could be a possibility in the future, you know, uh, you know, he has, he has a lot of potential that yeah. I see. And I think a lot of people see it too, of course, you know, uh, he's starting to get his name out there. So there's a few guys. I've wrestled Isaiah Bronner. Um, you know, I, I love a good technical match and I, I like to have, you know, just a game of chess in there and, and, and kind of play yeah. around and, and, and see, you know, you know, like not like a Daniel Bryan or sorry, Brian Danielson, <laughs> But I mean, like, I like that style where, you know, it's, it's hard hitting, it's, you know, mat based, but it's also a lot of intensity, uh, a lot of emotion, you know, yeah. that, that, that's the style of wrestling I like. I'm not, I'm not going out there doing stuff just to do it. I'm not going out there just to pop the crowd or get a reaction. I want to, I want, like I said earlier, I take a Bret Hart approach or I always tried where, you know, let's build the story up and let's ground and pound and let's try to wear my opponent down and try to beat them. You know, because the name of the game is wrestling. You got to pin your shoulder or make them submit. So, you know, I try to still always keep that mindset when I approach a match, you know, think, shoot, but work. So where uh, where do you see yourself in the next five years when it comes to pro wrestling? Well, you know, I mean, like my in-ring time, you know, I, I could see myself going a, a good year, depending on, you know, where we're at with the restrictions and everything. Um, I don't need to travel. I've done all my traveling. I've been all over the United States, you know, in Canada. So, I mean, like, and I've got good connections established and, you know, I've, I've made a, a fairly decent name for myself on the independent circuit. So um, what I like is just having some uh, working for some good promotions uh, locally and helping them give opportunities to the guys coming up. And then of course, uh, I could maybe, you know, after about a year or two, step into a manager's role. Uh, I think it'd be kind of fun to, you know, kind of do what um, Don Callis is doing or, you know, how Truth Martini was a manager for a long time or, yeah. you know, like I, I could see myself because then not only would I have the experience, you know, I could really be an asset. You know, Johnny Bravo, he's another manager that's, you know, he was a, he was a great wrestler. You know, a lot of people didn't see Johnny Bravo as a wrestler because he wasn't on television, but I tell you, I've wrestled Johnny Bravo numerous times and he's a great wrestler. So that yeah. he brings that into his managerial work for helping his, you know, clients, you know, proteges, whatever. And he can help them when they're, you know, working on stuff in their matches and trying to figure out where to put stuff. And, you know, I think I could be, could do that. And of course I'm going to, uh, I'm always going to be involved with wrestling, yeah. in some fashion, whether it's training no, or or helping out in some regard backstage. So awesome, awesome. We need to get you and Josh Raymond one more time. That'd be awesome. One yeah. more time. Bring bring it bring it to West Michigan, baby. Who knows? We'll see. Um, before I wrap up, there's actually two things I wanted to share with you, and I kind of I wanted to wait until we were kind of talking face to face. Um, number one, I love the fact that you and I can have healthy debates and discussions on pro wrestling because you are a pro wrestler. I am a fan slash journalist, however you want to word it. And I feel like sometimes 
those two parties don't get along and you know sometimes the wrestlers talk down to the fans and whatnot but i love the fact like you and i can have healthy discussions and debates on it and i can learn from you because that, that's the thing is i like i love learning about the business and like you know you talk about influential people like for me i, I would say the two influential people for me learning about the business and more recent years are you and Josh. Like you, uh, you, you two, I probably pick your guys' brains more than anybody else. And so I love the fact that we can have that healthy dialogue. And I wish more people would um, learn from you on that. Like, you know, if a fan has a question or a fan doesn't understand something, like don't like talk down to them or demean them. Like explain it without totally giving the secrets away, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the delicate act of it all. You know, it's like when, when you're on the inside and you're just, that's all, you know, and there's certain things that there's big picture stuff and there's, there's things that, that we think of long-term and then there's things that we think about personally um, involving talent and why things are done a certain way. So a fan might not be privy to that information of, you know, maybe so-and-so is this, or, you know, I think a lot of speculation happens because fans, they read one thing and then they want to like just embrace it. And they think that that's the full truth when really there, it might not be that at all. Someone just fabricated something and it got out there as a rumor. And then, but because it sounds believable, you might, and then, of course, wrestling itself is a work. Yeah. So it, it's like who's working who, how much information is really out there. So it, it's like fans are the lifeblood of wrestling. If there's no fans, we don't make money. Yeah. Um, and we're fans ourselves. And we got to remember what it was like when we wanted to know more and, and, and how to delicately kind of balance it out. So, you know, we're not, you know, calling somebody a mark for this or – you know, trying to insult the audience. You never want to yeah. insult the audience because that yeah. then they'll just tune out or go somewhere else. Or yeah. so, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just a matter of being professional, but yeah. also protecting what your business is. You want you don't want to like blab too much about something yeah. that that's that could hurt potential business because it, yeah. it, everyone, everyone knows it's a show. It's yeah. show business. But then there's certain things, certain like like. Vince McMahon or and his booking committee and or writers or whatever, he has certain reasons why he books things a certain way. We might look at it and go, well, that doesn't make sense. But that's because we're not privy to a lot of stuff that he might know. Like maybe somebody's contract is up and he can't push this guy, or maybe they have a health issue and he can't rely on them, or maybe they've got a bad attitude backstage, or maybe this or that. We don't know all that. Yeah. So you know, and that, that's all it is, is like fans want to know, but I think fans get so eager at times that they don't know so much how to uh, express themselves without it coming across sounding like a mark or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we are, our instinct is to protect the business. It's yeah. to protect our business and the entire business. So, yeah. you know, that, that's ingrained, that was ingrained in me for a long time. It's like, don't talk to the fans, don't smarten them up, you know, but now fans know everything to a point yeah they, they know they know that we're not killing each other some guys do 
yeah. <laughs> you know, you can beat up your friends and you know ask for forgiveness, but you know, yeah. some guys don't like each other for real, and that's like any job, you yeah. know, like that, you know, there's there's different friendships. You have there is a lot of politics. Yeah. That's the truth. There is a lot yeah. of politics. Uh, that's been since the beginning of time. If yeah. if if and that's just goes to relationships. You know, you you build relationships, and if like say somebody sells a lot of tickets and he is uh, might not be the best performer or the best worker, but that promoter knows that without this guy selling tickets, he's not going to get that many people in the door without him. Yeah. So we have to make his fans happy that bought a ticket to see him, even though they didn't buy it for his talent, they bought it because they just like him or their friends or their family. Yeah. So as long as there are matches on the card that give the fans what they want, you know, Fans like to play Booker. They want, yeah. well, this guy should be champion. And why is this guy this? And it's like, there's reasons yeah. it's that, you know, it, it's just, there's reasons. So, I mean, yeah. like we just have to learn that's what business is. That's how politics is. And, you know, we just got to delicately balance it all out. On a personal note, before we wrap up, um, I just want to say that like, you know, from a character point, you've always been an amazing Nate Matson, but as a human being, you are absolutely one of the most amazing people I've ever met and talked to. And one of the things I love about you and respect about you is that you are open about your faith. You don't hide it in the industry that you're in because there are a lot of people that do because that's also a stigma type thing. And I, I just, I love that about you. And I love that you can be approached by somebody and talk about it with people. And like, I Honestly, man, that is just, that is something that's like always really drawn me to you, not just as a wrestler, but as a person. And so I, on a personal level, thank you for being you and not hiding, you know, what your beliefs are and how you feel about certain things. Well, thank you. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, I can't deny it. You know, it's like, uh, with God is everything. He's, he's given me more than I deserve. And I'm blessed because not just to be in wrestling, but I, you know, I have a, a good family life here and uh, you know, I, I have everything I need, you know, and, and wrestling is, is the, the cherry on top that allows yeah. me to have fun and, and interact with people and fans. And, and then I love wrestling just like you love wrestling. Like, you yeah. know, it, you know, that's, that's why it's so cool is like people that are passionate about it they can connect that way, you yeah. know? And then, uh, but then like, that's just it. Now we can talk about deeper things, you know, wrestling might be the icebreaker, but then, you know, we each have things going on in our personal lives and we can, you know, say, Hey man, I'm praying for you. And you know, like what's going on. And, and that's what life's about, you know, I mean, make wrestling's about, and you know, having like an emotional connection, but like yeah. real life stuff is, is deeper and, yeah. It, it's just, you know, it's cool to be able to play those roles and, and to, to be amazing Nate. And most of the time I'm the bad guy just because I that's me throwing everything out there. Like, you know, yeah. I get crazy for a little bit, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a beautiful thing that we can come together and and, and share all these things. And, yeah. and that's what's cool about it. So it's a very it's a it's a great way to express ourselves. What uh, what social media platforms are you on for fans to find you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm on Twitter 
at amazing Nate. So Nate is uh, my tattoo there, the letter N, the number eight. So, you know, uh, it drives me nuts when people say N8. So it's Nate. I used to do it. When I first <laughs> heard of you, I, I did it. And yeah. it's like, and, and it's like, it's like Karam's name. I've heard so many people butcher it and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. if, he, if he could hear somebody, he'd probably strangle them. Yeah. I, I mean, I had to ask too. I'm like, is it Karam, Karam? You know, but <laughs> Karam, so. But yeah, um, no, you know, and, and I, I was a skateboarder growing up and every once in a while I still skateboard. So there was that old game called Skate or Die. Yeah. It was SK8. So, yeah. uh, you know, I was young and I was like, that, and that was my first tattoo. And I was like, I'm going to spell it Nate. And um, it just stuck. And, and yeah. that's how everybody, when they text me, Nate, when it's written on my pay envelope, Nate, when it's on the board, Nate. So, you know, my, my social media, uh, amazing Nate. Um, and that's same thing with Facebook. I have my, uh, the Facebook, uh, like page, uh, amazing Nate Matson, and, um, you're on YouTube, correct? So YouTube, Nate Matson or amazing Nate. It's one of the two okay. and same with, uh, Instagram. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah, Nate, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out. I know we went over an hour. I wasn't actually, but man, you, I mean, 25 years is a lot to cover. It is. It is. And, uh, I'm, Sure, your wife's probably annoyed you've been on the long this long, but I, I appreciate you so much taking the time out and just kind of going through the last 25 years of you know where you've been and where you're going. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Always great talking to you, my man. So yep. And so this has been Nate Matson. I'm Hollywood Joe from Hollywood's World of Sports. And remember, controversy doesn't come without criticism.